all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard. It's what you make of it. But what if only struggle surrounds you? What can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair. Please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through. Just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see. You are not alone. You have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know. But if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up because you got this. If you quit, think of all the opportunities that you could miss. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Authentic Points of View. I'm Danielle Boer, your host, as always. And thanks for listening. Yay! I'm so excited. Um, Thank you. And some of the other episodes, I talked about the countries that listened. Uh, Thank you so much to everybody that is listening from different uh, countries. And, of course, the U.S. I love you guys, too. Um, But I think it's so awesome that... You guys are hearing points of views from different uh, parts of the country in the United States and that you keep listening and it's um, it's touching you means a lot to me. So thank you so much. And thank you to the U.S. I appreciate y'all. Uh, so I always tell you guys like how I meet people and who's coming on and I am so excited. So I have, you know, lived in different areas. I lived in Baltimore. I've been through a lot as well. But I have been on the other side of this. So this is going to be great. And he doesn't know this of the um, the person that's been on the other side of this. So this man, his story is amazing. I saw it in a group and I was like, oh, my goodness, I have to talk to him. And he was nice enough to write back. Because sometimes you reach out to people and they don't write you back. So this is going to be a special episode. I know this is going to help so many people. And it's going to be touching. I may cry, which y'all know I cry almost every episode. So I'm excited. So um, Jarrell Lamar, uh, he was in prison for almost 14 years. And now he's a mentor to the youth while raising his 8-year-old daughter. And he's also a barber. How amazing is that? So welcome, Jarrell, to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thank thank you for answering me back, like I said. Um, so this is going to be so exciting because we're going to have something in common that you don't know, but from a different perspective of it. Uh, so it's going, it's probably going to be emotional for you, but it might be emotional for me as well. So uh, I can't wait to delve into it so like i said um you were in prison wow for almost 14 years what 13 years and 10 months and can you tell us like what you went to prison for well uh it all started in november the 20th 1996. five days before that uh the 15th i had got married to the mother of my children they were two and eight months, and uh, I got laid off and ended up committing a robbery, 
got caught. I did 18 months in the workhouse. Got out eight months. My life was just really going downhill, depression, suicidal thoughts, and I didn't have no family. And I, you know, we all fell out. So I kind of took to the streets in November, December of 2000, I mean, no, December of 1998, I caught a uh, home invasion. Uh, to make things simple and understanding what I was doing, I was what they call the stick-up boy. And the stick-up boy is a guy who robs dope dealers, you know, going to a house and rob dope dealers. And I went to a house that was owned by a police officer. Uh, I got shot in my lip, under my lip, my chin, and, wow. and my neck, and grazed on my shoulder by that officer, it was a police officer, that later on, somehow, it was been told to me that I didn't go in the wrong house, but she put it that way. Uh, and they hit me with, I went to went to get surgery because I had a bullet in my neck, and they hit me with attempted murder, aggravated burglary, two flawless assaults, and a weapons under disability. And I had eight years on the for probation on the shelf, as they call it, for probation from the 1996 case when I did the 18 months. So I was looking at about let's see, that's 10. 20, 8, and 6, and 8 is 16, so that's 36, plus 39, 39 plus 8 is 45, 46. Yeah, I was looking at 46 years, so, you know, they wanted me to plead guilty to the attempted murder, but I didn't do that. The real the reality of the situation was I got shot first, so uh, I ended up taking a 14 year deal, and you know had I was a man about my situation, made my bed and I had to lay in. Wow, um, so the, the 10 years the, the the attempted murder and the aggravated burglary carried the same time, but they stuck with the attempted murder. Wow. So, wow. So aggravated burglary equals the same time as attempted murder? It's an F1. Wow. So, two, two to so, 10 years. so is F1 is a federal, what does that mean for people that don't know? It's a felony one. Felony. That's okay. Yeah. As I thought so, but I wasn't exactly sure. Um, so, wow. Okay. First of all, how... I, I'm a nurse. You don't know that about me, but I'm a nurse and so many people die from your injury. I mean, instantly. Boom. So when that happened, literally you have a bullet going through your body. I mean, it just went through. Um, what's that called? Not a strike through. What's it called when it travels? Uh, ricochet. Okay. So when you're going through that did they take you straight to the hospital? Like what happened? I ran out the, after after she shot, she let off a whole clip. Um, I was stuck. Like I was there's the wall right here, but there was uh -huh. a couch behind me. So I'm stuck. So that's how I got grazed on my shoulder. Okay. So from that way, and I went to turn and you know, she grazed me on my shoulder. I had a return fire, ran out the house and you know, went home and I couldn't stop the bleeding. So I passed out. And next thing I know, I woke up. 
and you know, I had to go to the hospital. Wow. So you Wow. So you were losing so much blood that you just basically passed out. Um so you got to the hospital, of course they had to do surgery. Probably they had to remove the bullet and close it up. Um Were you, um, were you, did you think you were going to die at that point, to be honest? I mean, that's just a blunt. To be honest, I was, I was hoping for that. Really? I, I was, my life was, uh, just give me a moment. My life was, uh, it was just, it was destroyed and it was self-destroyed. Uh, I was hurt. My childhood trauma had added, you know, pushed me that in that direction. Feeling lonely, didn't care. Uh, was, you know, just didn't want to live no more. But I would refuse to take my own life. So I was comfortable with getting in a situation that might be my solution. Uh, well, let me just say that even though I'm not agreeing with robbery, of course, but I'm thankful that you're alive. And I'm thankful mm -hmm. that when we talk about all the things that you've done now, I'm so thankful that you've had the chance to do that. And um, so I'm trying not to get sad. Um, listeners, if you listen to episode one, you know, um, that somebody very important to me committed suicide and um it's a very touchy subject for me because um i knew that person their whole life they meant the world to me and um when people say that they wanted to do that it hurts my heart but i also can understand it from an outside you know like i I know that people feel that pain, but thank goodness, again, you're here. Thank goodness that that didn't happen, and that shows that you have purpose. Um, that shows that your life is, is meant to all the people that you've helped, which we'll talk about in a little bit uh, so far, and that you've made a difference in their life and all the experience you went through, that you're using it to help people. Um, you were meant to do that. So... Mm -hmm. I'm trying not to get too emotional. I have goosebumps because I've heard so many people say that and it makes me, makes my heart heavy, but I don't judge it. I don't judge it. And that's why I do this show. I don't want people to judge. Right? You really can't judge because no one's perfect and you don't yeah. know what another human being been through. Right. And, you know, a person will be wrong to even judge without hearing their story. You know, we all fall short of the glory of God, but at the same time, it's a it's it's about what you do with that. You know, you can like they say, life give you lemons, you gotta make lemonade. Absolutely. Um so okay. Now, you talked about your childhood. Was there something specifically in your childhood uh, yeah. that made you yeah, that made you just say fuck it i'm gonna you know this is the only way to survive i'm gonna rob I, I wasn't a bad kid 
just to summer it all up. I never, I got suspended one time in high school. Uh, I wasn't in DH and, you know, I wasn't that typical bad kid that always get into trouble. I was very mischievous. And um, around the age of 14, 12, or 12, between 12 and 14, I found out through a adult beef, I got brought into it, that the man who I thought was my father for, you know, first decade of my life, wasn't my father mm. and you know he had I, he had two kids by my mother it was us five and you know he had a grand he had a mother he had a father siblings and he had a whole family and my mother's side didn't have that you know she had a bunch of sisters and little cousins I had cousins and things like this but we I had no men in my family so you know you know they, they did a good job at covering it up but the universe shows us signs and I can name off six different signs regarding this man wasn't my father you know for example my teacher fifth grade teacher was like Corey I'm going to call your stepfather you know later on today and I'm like I never heard that uh you know, somebody my you know my dad he once pulled up to me my real father pulled up to me when I was walking to the store and told me to tell my mother he said ah and she told me don't tell your dad You're, you know don't tell your dad I said no such and such said hi, and she was like, don't tell your dad. But I didn't think that never because, you know, my mother is very beautiful and attractive, and men would always be, you know, trying to holler. So I didn't think that never. And then another time, I'm riding my skateboard out front. I'm probably like uh, 11, right before I found out. And car pulls up, and this lady gets up and says, hi, Corey. You know, this is your dad. You know, they start coming out. The universe is showing me different signs. And that this is what it is, but I was so young and wasn't able to see it. And basically, like, you know what? We try to give you signs, so we're just going to go ahead and drop it in your lap. And that's when it happened. And I felt lonely. I, I didn't feel wanted. And that separated me and my mother. And deep down inside, I blamed her for not telling me and not protecting me. You know, me and my stepfather, we had issues. And, you know, it was, I couldn't handle it. And I started turning up a little more an average teenage adolescent and hurt and all that came into play. And, you know, he used to say things like, you know what you do when you got a bucket full of good apples and one rotten apple? You know, same things like that. And it was things like that that just made me feel unwanted. And, you know, I didn't have nobody. It just gave me that information. I had to deal with it at a young age, and I did. So, you know, I moved back and forth, got kicked out of my mother's house, went to my dad. Didn't want to stay there, so back and forth, and you know, end up going to job for because I didn't have a place to stay. And you know, once I got out, you know, the streets, I got in the streets, and that was something that I never did. Wow, um, I'm sorry you went through that, and I'm sure you feel betrayed, uh, and that's that's hard, I'm sure. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So many people go through this. It's it's very sad. Um, it, it's like a sense of you don't know who you are. Probably at that is that how you felt? Like you just yeah. Felt I like went through a whole identity crisis. You know, growing up, we have to go. We, we go through what we go through when we find a, trying to find ourselves. Bodies changing, our thoughts is changing. Puberty. You know, take all that under consideration, and on top of this whole what is this all about? Why why me trying to understand that but not being able to go to nobody and talk and get some answers from my elders? 
I, I just, you know, had to deal with it the best way I could, and I, I dropped the ball. I, I dropped the ball. And the outcome was extremely negative. Wow. Huh. That's... You hear that so many times, like, when people, they turn to the wrong thing. Because you feel like, and as a young female, I turned to the wrong thing as in boys, right? I had kids as a teenager. And so, um, so you turn into, like, the thing that you think is, like, love or caring or a a family, like, your own family that you built or whatever. And, um, yeah, I... I relate to you on that totally different perspective of it, but I moved out of my dad's house. My dad was amazing though. He was amazing. And, uh, he was in the military and I moved out of his house to go move in with my first baby daddy and his parents' house makes no sense. My senior year. And that was a big struggle. And it hurt my dad of me just being like really it was makes no sense why I did it. And, um, I just felt like, oh, well, I'm going to go live with this family because my parents got divorced. So my mm-hmm. parents got divorced and then it used to be my mom, my dad, my brother and, and I, and then all of a sudden my mom's gone and I'm like, ah, you know, so I responded in a weird way. So I went to a house where they had a mom and dad there and they had, you know, and so, um, didn't, I didn't think of how it was affecting other people, what I was doing, you know, and, um, I lost my brother. He was 26 when he passed away, but I would have lived with him longer if I stayed there. And I just was like being selfish and being a brat and just like, and ran away you know was my own version of running away literally we lived like a few blocks away from where my dad was (laughs) i didn't run too far (laughs) i ran around the court literally it's it's kind of crazy (laughs) oh god oh i'm a mess so i ran literally around the corner uh but that was my version of and then i mean i had a kid young like we ended up he wasn't my baby daddy yet but I was in high school. I missed out on so many things because I was like, oh no, this is going to be better. No. And uh, I missed out on, so I lived in Baltimore area. I have never been to New York in my life. And I was supposed to go to New York three times in my senior year. And I moved in with him my senior year. I was working full time um, at a restaurant and going to school. I also worked midnight sometimes too and was going to high school. And, um, I was supposed to go three times to New York my senior year, like I said, didn't go any other times, couldn't afford it. I was living on my own, kinda, you know, I had to pay for everything. We even had to pay his parents rent and we were teenagers. Uh, we were 17. So (laughs) I love his parents though. Um, his mom passed away, but she was like one of my best friends. She was awesome. But anyway, they were trying to teach us a lesson, which was fine, but I didn't choose to do those things. And then that was the year 1999 to 2000. Graduated in 2000. I almost dropped out of school because I was going through so much. And then 2001, the attacks happened in New York. And I had never gone. And I I was supposed to go, you know. And I let those situations, like, I thought, like, oh, I have love over here. And the whole time I found out, you know, he was cheating on me and he was being really controlling. I'm like, what in the world? You know, but, but I'm saying this is like it's not the same as what you were going through for any not at all 
but it's just the fact of we all have these outlets, right? We all have these things that we feel like, oh, that situation is going to be better. Or like, oh, like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with the boys because they know how I feel or whatever. And y'all are all getting in trouble together. And then when shit hits the fan, where are they? You know, yeah. right. And, and that's sad. And, um, but I went off on a tangent. I'm so sorry. I do that a lot. Um, so basically now you, you go to prison and we, you talked about at that point you were okay with dying. Is there any point in prison that you just felt like giving up or that you tried to, you know, give up? No, no. I found strength. I found something that I never had and that was, you know, brotherhood. You know, you get with people that you can relate to or whatever the case. But throughout my prison episode, I never felt like that. I, I realized after my first couple of years, after I calmed down because I just wasn't used to it, I got kicked out of my first prison, my institutional home because of failure to adjust, which is a proud thing about of mine, badge, because I'm not a prisoner. I'm not a street guy or anything like that. I'm a working man, a family man. I just had got caught up because you know I lost my job and I was I was a fool. I was the very full, I was responsible for all the finances in the house. Mm -hmm. So, you know, couldn't wait for a job, wait two weeks when I got writ in car insurance and car notes and everything all in one week. So I made that decision. But when I got to prison, to the second prison, which was Lucasville, and one of the, it was the second worst prison in, in Ohio, they had a riot back in the 90s and all that. That was a wake up call because people died there. Whether you get you get murdered by an inmate or the police is known to kill you. I mean, not the police, but the correction officers are known to do damage to you or even kill you. And on top of that, that's where they execute the, uh, you know, uh, people that are ready that are sentenced to death. Oh. So I was consumed in death, in negative energy. And I learned how to find a positive and a negative situation. I learned how to channel the good energy that I saw me giving my mother because I never, you know, gave her a reason to say I'm proud. And, you know, I wanted to make her proud because all those years I've, I haven't given her no reason to say I'm proud of you. So, you know, I wanted to live. I had kids. I used all that was positive that I, in my life and helped and, and focused on that. And that allowed me to work, weed out the negative energy that was inside me ask myself questions, a lot of soul checking. And, you know, at the time I start realizing that I'm special I'm looking at, you know, you shouldn't have, you could have been in prison for a long period of time for, you know, a, you know, death, killing someone, or, you know, you could have died yourself, but you're here. Like you said, I have a purpose. So I start focusing on that and trying to make my mother proud. That way, you know, I start, when I start doing, I start realizing how special I am and how much I, how much I need to love me and, fix myself and, you know, change don't come till you tired. So I was tired of the things that I was putting myself through. So I had to recognize it, acknowledge it, look down and deep into my spirit and soul search and figure out why I'm acting like this. And once I figured that out, I was able to make solutions for those problems. Like I fought a lot. I got so many fights and it was hurt people, hurt people. 
And um, I had to challenge myself, like, you know, can you do this? You know, can you be consistent at staying out the hole? So, you know, I started loving myself and I started wanting more. So that's how I didn't allow death to, you know, persuade me into killing myself or whatever the case. Wow. Um, that's, that's awesome that you got to the point where you're like, you recognize that, okay, I could have had a different outcome. Let me make something good of this. And you're right. Hurt people do hurt people. Um, that's a saying that's so true. So many sayings are true, but that's so true. It's like, I don't know if, and I've, I've heard people like when I lost my brother, I literally shut down and didn't want to communicate with anyone. And I had kids to take care of. I was a single mom. So, you know, it, it was a hard situation and I was in school. I worked two jobs, was in school, was a single mom of two kids. So I'm sure I hurt people, not in, not on purpose. And, but it's just like, I was probably being a jerk because I was, I was hurt. It, it comes down to misery, love, and comfort. That's true. You don't want to be alone, miserable alone. So, you know, ain't nobody going to join your pity party or your misery party unless you force them. Yeah, but that's sad, though, because we should be lifting each other up, not bringing each other down. Uh, yeah. Nobody needs to go down. No, going down is bad. That's We don't want to go backwards. You know, we want to progress and go forward. When you, so, hurt, when you hurt, none of that matters. That's You're right. No, you're not thinking about, like, yeah. yeah, you're not thinking sometimes about who you're, you're affecting. Go ahead, yeah. sorry. You have two ways of thinking. That's your intellectual way of thinking and the emotional way. Hurt people don't think intellectually. They think with their emotions, you know, and, and therefore if they was doing it the opposite, they would be looking at it how you look at it. Like nobody deserves this. I don't, I don't need to put my pain and my anger out on innocent people or, you know, you know, be miserable by yourself until you can get out of that misery help or find somebody. Like I said, we shouldn't be doing that, but Think about it. There's over two, 8 billion people on this planet. Not all of them understand it. It's a small percentage that understand it. And you're more likely to find somebody who don't understand it than those that do understand what you're going through. That's right. And even if you don't understand, that's why I do this podcast. I love it. So even if you don't understand, um, don't be hateful. Like, even if, th that's why this is called Authentic Points of View. And that's why I talk about in the intro and I think the outro maybe, but you might not ever experience what, what you experienced Drew, or do that or whatever, or think like in that way. But that's not the point. The point is listen to the experience, listen to what, the person is saying what they were feeling, the reason why they did it, whatever the case may be, and just just listen and be there. That's what we can be as humans. Is just listen. That doesn't mean I'm saying, oh, robbing people's good. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you're important and you deserve to be heard. Your story and the fact that 
we'll talk about it in a little bit, what you're doing and you flipped it, right? So you flipped it around and that's what is important. And so instead of being hateful and, and like shutting people down and try to be judgmental, like, oh, blah, 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 I'll never do that. You don't know what you would ever do. Let me tell you something. I know so many people that are business people that are addicted to pills, pain pills. I know it. And it's because I'm a nurse. It's not like I'm walking around and, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But I'm saying like, yeah, I know I have heard so many things and I, I, I don't understand it, but I don't judge them. You can't, right? That's not our place. Our place is not to be judgmental. It's to be understanding Un- right understand it and just be like even though that's not exactly what i've done or what i've been through but i care enough to listen to you and to hear your point of view because it might help me what if my kid starts doing the same thing you know what i'm saying like you might you talking to me might give me a nugget that I need, a piece of advice, something that I need, and it could be, it could. It's a seed. That seed, you right? Gotta, you gotta help grow. That's all true. We do, all we can, people who who express their, uh, you know, the things they went through. All we can do is plant the seed, but it's up to the person we plant the seed, the soil into, the seed into. It's up to them to make it grow. Right. Absolutely. Right. So you could like, you can give so you can tell somebody so many times, like for instance, I was a teen mom and I can tell so many people, Hey, you know, um, wear protection or think about this or whatever, whatever. That doesn't mean they're going to do it, but guess what? I have good intentions. I'm trying to, you know, help. And they might think about it, you know, even with your kids, you might tell them something that you never would think that they would remember. And they could be in that situation and say, oh, no, dad said da 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 or dad went through this or whatever the case may be. So you never know whose lives you're touching and you never know who you're who you're next to. You could be next to the person that's about to invent something that's going to change a million lives. You never mm-hmm. know that. So um, that's why I say, like, just be kind. It's so important to be kind. Um, it, because everybody has a purpose in this world and everybody makes mistakes. I've made so many mistakes. They're not the same mistakes as you. They're not the same mistakes as the person that's next to me in Kroger or whatever the case may be, but we've all made mistakes and we are not those things. Right. And that's what I talk about all the time. We are not those things like I'm a mom, I'm a female, I'm a this, I'm a that, but I'm also caring, I'm loving, I'm empathetic, I'm this, this, and that. Those things are my character, you know, that that's, that's who I am. And so, and that's important, but you talked about your mom and you wanted to make your mom proud. Did you have any family visiting you when you were in prison? I had my, my main supporter was my mother. Um, like I said, I had five kids at that time. Uh, I can count on both hands how many times I've saw them through the 14 years. Aww. I had, you know, siblings came up a couple times, but mainly consistency, consistently it was my mother throughout the years. That It's important 
people don't understand that is important as well because if you're not mentally strong and you're in there and again nobody's saying like oh yeah it's great to go to prison but some people go falsely to prison okay some people are in prison and were falsely accused and most of those people are not white people just saying i know i'm white but you know that happens all the time and it's so sad so the the thing is like having the love and somebody that's there and the care they're again they're not saying oh yeah it's okay whatever you did but what they're saying is i love you as a person i want you to do better i'm here for you and that's important because you can lose hope kind of if you're not mentally strong you really you really could because like i said my first 18 months being locked up i didn't have nobody Aww. and i was i got worse i got really that really pushed me to like don't nobody love you don't nobody you by yourself don't nobody care about you and you know but like they say the most important thing for an inmate to do is surround himself with a good support team a loving support team and my mother gave me that she gave me the motivation i owe i felt like i owed it to her after all i put her through i you know i did like i, I didn't put her through a lot lot like a typical bad boy kid who's just doing way too much dh and police and all. i had my little share i'll say i went on the 10 10 if the level one of 10 was 10 was being the worst i was probably like about a four that took off after situations opened up to me. I took off and kind of became and became a team. So, I mean, you, you learn from it. You you push it to you push on to keep going, and you believe in it and you believe in yourself. Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, ain't nobody you can't love nobody until you love yourself. So I had to learn to love myself. And no matter who was coming to see me, you know how many times I got set up for a visit, all excited, and it ain't even coming. I take all that's negative in my life and find something positive. You know, that right there helped me understand why expectations leads to disappointment. You have to leave room for error. So that helped me mentally because I wasn't good at, you know, letdowns. So you're thinking that you're getting ready, you know, this person's coming and you're sitting there all dressed in your nice linen and whatnot, you got your hair cut, you put a whole bunch of effort just to not hear your name be called. That can do something to a person already going through something. So I had to control that because I saw it was affecting me. I paid really close attention to my emotions and I check into them now. I've learned how to do that over the years. It's all about my emotions because that is my downfall personally. I had to learn how to control. I'm not human like anybody else and we're not perfect, but the, each year, you get better and better when you put into something, such as yourself or anything else, a craft, a trade, career, your relationship. If you put into it and work on it, it will get better. You got to trust the process. You got to crawl before you walk, walk before you run. So that's what I basically did. You know, I, no matter who came and saw me, I knew I still had to. I didn't want nobody to come. I didn't want my kids. I just wanted to do this time and work on me. Because I understood that everybody had their life out there. I would never ask my baby mothers for money. Because I, my mentality is, I put myself in this situation. I got to make my way. And y'all shouldn't have to suffer. I don't want to be a dog that shits in other people's yards. And the owners, and the owner, somebody else is going to clean it up. I didn't want to do that. 
So I struggled with my mom. I told her I didn't, you know, I'm a man. Mom, I did this, I'll do it. But she wanted to do it because it was in her heart to be there for her son. So, you know, it, it worked out. No, well, that's good that you had her. And that's good that you looked at it in a, that's hard to do. It's hard to look at stuff in that perspective and be like, well, uh, it, it's the, re um, the reason why this is happening. So I just got to suck it up and deal with it. Um, so that's really strong of you to do that. Now I said that I was on the opposite end. So this is how I was on the opposite end. Um, I actually am putting this business in the streets. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> baby daddy number two, uh, went to jail, um, when we lived together. And actually, his friend robbed my house, uh, but he said he didn't know it was his... Anyways, he was in jail, so he didn't have nothing to do with it. But the point is, um, so he went to jail, and then we found out I was pregnant while he was in jail. I ended up in a homeless shelter. I already had my oldest son wasn't his, but, you know, uh, he was like one and a half, because they're two years and a little bit apart. Ended up living in a homeless shelter. His parents were very supportive, though. They were the ones taking me to my doctor's appointments, and they were doing a lot of stuff. Um, and then he was in prison. And, uh, anyway, fast forward. Um, I ended up, when I moved away, so we ended up getting back together 60 times. Not 60, but too many times. And I ended up moving from which is something I have in common with you. So I moved from Baltimore to Ohio and I lived in Ohio for 11 and a half years. But when I was in Ohio, my baby, which was his kid just had turned, well, he was turning three. So we moved in May, he turned three. And so he was in prison, prison at this point. And he would write me letters and all this stuff. We haven't been together in years and blah, blah, blah. And I let my son go visit the grandparents because they were important, you know, but they were taking him to go see him in prison. And I was mad and I asked them not to. And because he was a baby, he was only three. So he might, I don't even think he remembers, but I didn't want him to see him in that light though. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like in a negative way. Uh, and they didn't listen to me. So then I cut off ties with them for a while. And, um, I'm sure it helped him though, seeing his kid cause we had moved away, but there was a lot of negative with it. So when he wasn't in prison, he was teaching him a lot of bad stuff. My son is, is biracial. So he would teach him to say what's up in word when I came and picked him up. He was two years old. Like, why would you teach a two year old that, you know, just like there was a lot of negative. And then he was like bashing my, my oldest son is actually, it's funny. He's, um, my, um, the only guy that I dated that wasn't black. I had a kid with basically. And so my first baby daddy is actually Japanese and white. And so my oldest son is just a little bit Japanese. So a quarter, so one fourth. So he used to tell my little son to call his big brother a cracker. And it used to frustrate the crap out of me because that's so stupid. So we were young when we had kids. And um, so he would tell him to call him names and all this stuff and it was just such a negative thing so that's another reason why i didn't want him to go see him because i didn't know what he was tainting him with and what he was telling him and that's not okay you don't do that to any kid i don't care what race you are or what the situation is that's so immature and stupid
But and that's the, that's the problem because kids are clay. Parents don't realize that kids are clay, and you and he's molding that child in the wrong form. Right, and so and he thought it was funny, so. It got to the point, that's where it stemmed a part of it too, because if him and I were on good terms and he was being a positive role model, even though being, yeah, I would have been like, okay, go ahead and take him. But the fact that he was hurting my other son, because he he wanted us to be together, so he was trying to be hurtful, that's not okay. So, but fast forward many, many years. Um, oh, my baby. So my baby now lives in Maryland with the guy that was that guy the the dad and so uh his his dad went to prison a lot of times he cut off his house arrest bracelet ended up he was supposed to do 12 years guaranteed but that he was on the run for a year and a half they only made him do a few years so in the baltimore so he was in um prison in baltimore area and uh he actually learned a lot he actually helped the governor start a program for them to get uh degrees and prison um to, for them to get approved to go to colleges when they get out if, if they have a felony so he actually made a lot of differences and a lot of changes that helped a lot of people so he changed a lot but it was very hard for me to let my son go live with him my son started getting in trouble my son got on probation i don't talk about this uh but here we go my son got on probation my son ended up being on that end of it right and I'm not saying I didn't affect it. I'm sure things I did affected him, but I tried so hard for him not to be like his dad. He started going to counseling at four years old. He, I mean, all this stuff. And then he still ended up in that path. And some stuff I did, you know, could have led him in that way too, you know. And I'm not saying it's all on his dad. It's absolutely not because I was the one raising him at that point. I was trying so hard. For him not to be like that, that I could have been pushing him into that. And I recognize that. Sometimes, well, I always got a saying, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. You know, the apple that the tree representing the father, you know, dropped, you know, the apple representing the kids and the, the little things that, you know, we give our kids, you know, little thing, you know, you give your child a whole bunch of things that are you, they have. Same as up, same as me and any but other parents. We pass down good and bad things that we have. But uh, you know, you really can't fault yourself. Yeah, we can all do that, but what good is that gonna do? You know, all you can do is learn from it and you know, try to go about moving differently than what you was before you learned the lesson. So don't take walk walls. You did all you can all you gotta remember is that you did your best. You you did something. It might have not been your best, but you did something else that was positive, you know. So, but some, you can't control how far that apple falls for the tree. Like my, I, I come to find out that my grandfather wrote his name in Lebanon, Ohio walls in prison, you know. Then his son was there, his other son was there, I was there. Like the apples, a lot of times the apples do not fall far from the tree. But then there's a lot of times the apples do fall far from the tree, good and bad apples. Right. So you just have to, you know, take learn from what you what you did, what you felt you did wrong. Or, you know, remember the lessons that you had growing up with your child and the decisions that you made 
to because he's still gonna be your child no matter what. Yeah. It's gonna be a time. A parent, a child always needs their parent. I don't care how old you are. So all you can do is just make the adjustments and be there as much as you can when the time comes. Right. And I'm proud of him. Yeah. So what I, what I was saying, like, um, he is visiting right now. Actually, we're supposed to be hanging out tonight, but he's visiting from Maryland and he has changed so much. He's 19 now. And thank goodness I let him go live with his dad. You know what I'm saying? So I want people to understand that. And I've talked about this in a few episodes, not as in much detail. I just said my son used to get in trouble. Um, my son supposedly was in a gang, guys. This is a real life. This is me opening up my real life story. My son was missing in the middle of the night so many times that I thought he might be dead. It was scary. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know if he was okay. And he wouldn't answer his phone because he didn't want me to find him. So he wanted to like hang out and party and he thought that stuff was cool. And now this, this guy is getting promoted to a manager at his job. He's doing amazing. He's so happy. He's so, he's still a butthead. He's still a butthead. I mean, he's still a boy. He's a teenager. And he said some stuff in front of me. I'm like, what? Like we just hung out the other day and he's, I can feel that he's changed. I can see that he's changed. And he, he said to me, I told him to his face literally a couple days ago. I'm so sorry for anything that I did to hurt you or any mistakes that I made or any things that I thought that were helping that were hurting. And he said, you're a good mom. It's okay. And it felt so good to hear that from him. And just know, like, like you said, Jarrell, if you are doing what is good intentions and is the best and you're being there, then, you know, I mean, stuff happens and, and you don't have control sometimes, but the fact that I sucked up my pride and I had somebody important to me that my boyfriend, he said to me, because he is a dad that doesn't get to see his kids, unfortunately. He said to me, you don't know. That man might have changed. You got to trust that he changed. And that was hard. I was like, oh, because he did this and that 50 years ago, 17 years ago, 16 years ago. You know, I mean, everybody's changed. I've changed from 16, 17 years ago. So you have to realize that, like you said, we are all humans. We all make mistakes. And the fact that he's helping him. He's being an example and my son sees, oh, this is the result of what he did. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the path I was going down. Oh my. Cause it's hard, you know, like I'm glad his dad is doing well now, but his dad until his middle thirties, never had a house in his name. I don't think never had this in his name, never had, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, yeah. And so, but the fact that now he's like showing my son, look, this is possible. And it was hard for him. I know he couldn't get a job for a long time because he is a felon. He could not get, and he told me straight up and listening is important. Like you said, then even though I've been so mad at that, <laughs> that guy, I'm like, I listened to him. And one time he told me, he said, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm trying, I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard. Nobody will give me a chance. And so I had to listen to that and say, oh crap that uh, but maybe I would give up if I was going through that, you know what I'm saying? Like, and just quit and they'll be like, I don't even want to get a job. And that's what leads people to do the bad things. Cause it's easier. Sometimes they're like, this is an outlet. Okay. So selling drugs is 
easier than going and, and having a boss and working and they know all my business and now I'm in trouble. So they're looking at me. So no, I've been in trouble and they're judging me on this or whatever. And so people go to that stuff. And again, I'm not saying selling drugs is good, y'all, but I'm saying it's real life. People go to that. You got to do what you, you got to do, do. You're right. Um, you do, people do feel like they've got to do what they got to do. And I talked to someone that I would have never known was a stripper and she used to be a stripper. Now she has a PhD, y'all, a PhD. And she used to be a stripper. So, and that's what she said. She was like, I didn't think I would ever do that, but that helped me cope with because she uh, lost her sister and she was dealing with grief and she was like that helped me and she ended up homeless in a car living in a car she lost her sister her job and something else all at the same time and so she ended up living in her car and became a stripper and now she has a phd the stripper is not who she is who cares that's something that's part of her journey that doesn't mean she's a bad person because she was a dancer you know, and then people just have these stigmas on things. Oh, mental health. Oh, if you have mental health issues, that means you're bad. No, everybody struggles with things. We all do. Some type of mental issue going on within them. So, you know, me personally, I didn't get a lot of that. I, I, I was blessed to be surrounded by good people. Good. And, you know, yeah, I understand the hardship. I was so glad that I went to prison and got my barber license that I didn't have to go through what the typical inmate went through or convicted felon went through as far as job. But it still affected me. Like I tried to get into this mentoring program through, you know, through barbering. And once they found out that was a wrap, uh, I was going to be, I went to a homeless shelter with me and my daughter and we had, you know, they liked me. The staff loved me and whatnot. So they tried to get me a job. My record stopped me on that housing. Yeah, so I understand how hard it is, you know, for people who are trying but just ain't getting the credit from others because people don't understand, I'm proud of you, I see you. Things like that, that really does, that changes the game, especially for someone who ain't been hearing that and ain't been giving, no no, ain't been giving nobody no reasons to say that. So, you know, I feel him on that. It's, you got to try. I think that's what separates us from everybody else. We try. You know, if you don't try, you're just giving up and you're going to be like all the other people who don't try. But when you try, you get results. Whether big or small, either way it goes, trying is a positive. It's a, it's a solution. Where everything else, if it ain't a solution, it's a problem. Right. So by you not acknowledging, like you said, you see them now, but before it, when you're not acknowledging them, you're, you were being a part of the problem. He needed you to be a part of the solution. Now that you're a part of the solution, but you couldn't be a part of the solution because all the stuff he did in the past that gave you reason to have problems. So, you know, like I said, you're either part of the problem or the solution. You got to acknowledge a person that's trying. Yeah, that's true. And and that comes with part of uh, growth and maturity and... Absolutely. And it's hard once you, to be honest, when somebody, because that person is a big liar. So once you lose trust with someone, it is, it's so hard, right? Yeah. And so, um, and that person has lied about me so many times to break up the relationship with my older son. And, and, and it's hard. It's, it's like, ugh. but also I have to put that to the side and say, 
how does this affect my my second son that's his son right so being a adult being a parent thinking of other people and just how you affect the situation as well like you said um is important so what did you do so you were in prison and you i'm so glad that your mindset changed um what was the first thing you did when you got out of prison like what was the most exciting thing and you're like i just got to do this I had to go, I had to go see my kids. That was first and foremost. I had to see my kids. And the second thing I wanted to do was take a bath. <laughs> I'm very simple. I, I wanted to take a bath and just soak because that's what I used to do beforehand. I'd fall asleep in, in the tub because I'm so comfortable and whatnot. But not being able to take a bath in over a decade and a half was one of the things. I Nothing else mattered but seeing the kids, seeing my kids and taking a bath and walking, walking out in the, at the night at two in the morning, just walking around, having that freedom. That's the three things that I wanted to do so bad. Wow, it, it puts it into perspective though, because sometimes we take things for granted. Really um, we do, absolutely. Like, I mean, for instance, um, I've had so many patients that were like walking, talking, working, doing well, and all of a sudden they had a stroke. And now they can't do anything. They can't move their arms. They can't do this. They can't feed themselves. And now they're depending on others. And it's such a, it's so hard not having that freedom, not being able to do the things that you could do, brush your own teeth, like stand up, you know, like we take those things for granted sometimes. I know I do. I know that I'm like, I mean, yeah, like we just walk around, we're like, okay, this is, da, 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 da. and then all of a sudden, if you can't do it, um, you know, I actually was a code stroke a few times, and it was really hard for me. I'm stubborn, number one, <laughs> and I was a nurse, and I was like, I don't want nobody to put me on a bedpan or wipe my butt or something or whatever. That's great, you know. It was like, it was such a humbling experience because I said, this is how my patients feel. I needed to go through that to know that this is how they feel this they're it's like a a feeling of like i don't want to say despair but like you just kind of feel helpless a little bit so yeah yeah so the fact that you know you appreciate even taking a bath like puts it into perspective the things that we kind of take for granted um so it's really exciting you mentioned your barber license and i know um there's good things in prison. There's trades and different things that people um, learn different programs. So did you actually get your license while in prison or when you got out? Uh, I've been a barber for nine years. When I came home, been home nine years. April 2013, I got a, a job in the shop. I got out 2012 of a November, so I was still making that transition. But while I was in prison, I decided to uh, get something out of them. You know, they get, the state get, got $35,000 a year out of me. So all I was, what I did was, you know, worked on me with that time, worked on me and, and correct things within me and all that soul searching and stuff. And once I got done with that, the majority of the work, because I'm still a work in progress, I wanted to get something out of them, 
and I didn't want to continue just letting time do me and just doing time. So I put in two kites. A kite is a piece of paper that you send in to any administrator, assistant, or you know, department, whatever the case. That's how we communicate with the officials. So I sent a kite to the Department of Education for HVAC and barbering. And barbering was the first thing that came up. Now, I didn't know that throughout my family, we had barbers and hair. I knew we had hairstylists because I was surrounded by the women, but we I never really met no men in my family. They all lived out of state. But come to find out, my grandfather, my mother's side was a barber. His son was a barber. His son was a barber. You know, I got uncles and uh, cousins that are barbers. So many people in my family of female-wise, they all know how to do hair. So in other words, it was in my DNA. I didn't even know. So wow. I decided to go to I decided to go to school, and I was I passed at the top of the top of the class because I already knew because you know beforehand I started cutting my hair when I was in the ninth grade like two thousand like nineteen ninety ninety one I start I taught myself how to cut hair because I didn't like how my uh, stepfather was cutting so I didn't even know I had it in me. Wow, that's awesome. Um, we all have talents in us that. That I talked about that actually on a different episode that sometimes like going through like a tragedy or like heartache or pain or grief or whatever can actually um, release some creativity that you didn't even know that you had. So that's 100% true, you know, um, and I've been through that too. Like I actually had difficulties with my pregnancy. And so I had already finished nursing school, but I was like, what am I going to do? I have to make some kind of money. So I started making bows and I started making tutus and I started doing this. And that's how I started photography because I was like, oh, well, my grandfather was a photographer and my uncle was a photographer. Yeah, stuff like that. So that's that's really cool that um, you kept the family legacy alive, too, and that you realize like, oh, I've always been able to do this. And then you use that skill um, and... It's an everyday thing that, you know, like it's something that benefited you, but now you can benefit other people. So, and make money from it, you know, um, that's smart. So, okay. We talked about your older kids, um, but you also have a younger, uh, a daughter and how soon after you got out of prison, did you have your daughter? Uh, she was conceived the first summer. Oh, wow. And, uh. You know, me and her mother got back together, who I was still married to, uh, technically, and it didn't work out. So, you know, when I left, she told me she was she was uh, pregnant. And through the first three years of the my daughter's life, it was, I was just lost. You know, I, I was just trying to find myself. And after that whole wave of excitement of being free, wore down, she came into my life and, you know, it kind of got me together, but it really didn't because she wasn't with me. And, you know, I, I'm this, I'm the type of person that I got to be real with myself before I'm real with anybody else. So my mistake was, you know, I got into a relationship when I first came home and it, it was a big distraction. And once I really woke up and saw that I didn't match that woman's love and she wanted to be married and all that, but she dealt with me like my last two years in prison, I just couldn't continue to use it. So that's when I started going through my growth. I, I moved out, I start house hopping, and then I settled down at my aunt's house. This is all 2016. 
in November, my wife at the time, she told me that she needed me to step up with our child who was three, two and a half at that time. I had to do what I had to do. I took her because the mother was in the shelter. Come to find out, I took her and, you know, start trying to make that transition. And, and uh, you know, I ended up getting custody of her, make a long story short. That's awesome. So uh, not awesome that her mom was going through stuff, but um, of course, but um, cause I lived in a shelter. Like I said, when I had my, I was pregnant with my second son. I mean, when I, when he was born, I lived in a shelter, but I had an apartment there, I, like upgraded mm -hmm. to an apartment there. But anyway, so, um, you know, but with parenting, I always say, like, I always try to use this platform to say, and it's not everybody. This is not to bash women me i'm not saying this to bash women i'm not saying this to bash white people because i talk about stuff with white people i'm just being real of what i've seen so Ooh. with and i've been a woman that was kind of like that like i talked about that but i think like it's important for both parents to be involved of course and so my ex-husband actually had gotten custody of my bonus son and he is always gonna be my baby he lived with me um from age four to 11 and unfortunately i left the marriage and left ohio and came to atlanta i live in atlanta area and um and i miss him so much and it's something that's hard for me because he's not my stepson he's my son like he'll always be my son right. and so that was very difficult but thank goodness that his dad stepped up and took care of him because he had a situation with his mom you know back and when he was really little and so it's important for both parents like i said um and i don't want you know sometimes women we can be petty and like i talked about earlier you know we can use the mistakes that the man has made and use it against them but that's not the child's fault and it doesn't no it's not and it and it's it takes a lot of maturity uh, to get to the point where you're like, let me push my feelings aside. Let me be a grown up and worry about, because the kids cannot help it. They are just here and we just bring them here and they're like, bam, and they have to deal. Yeah. And they just have to deal with everything. And so, like you said, it's like mold them and everything. And so we have to be a good example. And it takes a lot. Believe me, I was not. When I was 18, I wasn't the best example. I mean, my son was a baby, but I used to be so mad at his dad and he wasn't helping me. And I'd drive around and chase him and be like, hey, like that was going to do anything. That's so stupid. But he wouldn't help me. And I was doing everything by myself. And I just thought as a young, stupid teenager, I'm like, I'm going to make him see that, you know, he should be around. I can't force nobody to be around, you know. And so that's the thing. It's, it's a balance, you know, because sometimes the other parent just isn't around and you're just like okay you're out on your own and um so it's great when men step up and i'm not bashing your daughter's mom i don't know anything about her but i'm just saying it's great when men step up and do the right thing because the, the kids yeah somebody has to yeah right somebody does and the kids have to um like each role is important and so it's, it's such a beautiful thing to like, cause my daughter has a bonus dad and he is amazing. And like I said, he's not around, around his daughters because the mom just 
not, not trying to bash, but she like moved and just psh, cut off ties. And it's because of stuff that happened when they were younger and stuff like that. But again, he's changed. He's, and he's a great dad. So, and I'm not, he doesn't like me to talk about him. Sorry. I love you. <laughs> he doesn't like his business being up. But anyways, but the point is, I mean, nobody knows really who I'm talking about sort of, but yeah. So the thing is like, that's another thing that helped me. Um, and I told the listener several times seeing it through his eyes of what he was going through with his situation made me open my eyes of stuff that I've done and stuff that I've read. And I'm like, Ooh, and I saw how hurt and how much it affected him. And I'm yeah. like, Oh crap. You know, it goes both ways. It really do. It does. You know, we're, we're not perfect. We learn on the go a lot of times, but you know, you can't just look at one person's fault before you look at your own. Cause if you look at your own, I, I always say, you know, this is, you know, that saying people in glass houses shouldn't cast stones. Yes. Yeah. Just imagine, you know, you living in a glass house. I live in a glass house and I'm throwing stones at you and the stones are negative things, you know, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. You can also, but you can pick those stones up and throw them back at me and just shatter my whole glass house. Right. Where I'm, I'm thinking like, you know what? I ain't perfect. She's right. I should never attack her and I wouldn't be in a position to have my house shattered by the things that she threw back at. Right. And that's a, a great way to look at it. And that's, I agree. That's with everything though. Like, you know, um, it's like we're all valuable and we all have a purpose and we all mean something. And there's like so many sides to a story, right? Yeah. So you, there's so many times where, so I can tell my part of the story. Oh, this is what they did. Do, 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 do. But sometimes I don't include what I did. You know what I'm saying? And so, but I'm not like that. I, I'm pretty much, I mean, now I'm almost 40 years old. So, um, I turn, uh, 40 this month. So, but the point is like, I have done that. And then you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, what, that's not right, you know? And so now again, maturity, growth, growing up. Um, and now I have grown kids like you. And so um, my oldest, my youngest is actually nine and my oldest is 21 and I have kids in between. Um, how has being a father changed you and maybe changed your choices that you've made? I lead by example. Best way a person can teach someone is by example. So having her in my life beforehand, I was just free. No responsibilities. My older kids is older. The mother is taking care of my daughter, is, you know, and, I, and I'm just completely free. And with freedom brings wildness, chaos. Yeah. And, you know, I was just all over the summer and fall of uh, 2016. I was all over. But when I got her, she grounded me. And I'm like, and I realized that this child did not ask to be here. And her mother is in a situation that she is in. Therefore, it's my responsibility, it's my obligation to get myself together. Because I can't help, you can't help somebody until you get yourself together. Right. So I focused on that. I, you know, simplified my life, go to work and come home and take care of my daughter. I took, you know, I took her to, to the shop with me and we were just you know, bonding and bonding, but she was so much into the negative world that she came from 
that I had to reconstruct her and re and surround her 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 surround make her surroundings a much more positive. So by doing that, that allowed me to be positive because you can't be all negative and try to. That's not gonna work. You're right. Pouring water into in, in a cup and putting some oil in it, it ain't gonna mix. You know, yeah. one is diluted and one is pure. So it's either or. So I had to get rid of the oil and just keep pouring cups of water and, and, and just trying to, you know, show her things that I needed to show her as far as, you know, growing up and what you what should you do and what you can't do. And also allow her to get to know me. But she didn't know me. I didn't know her. So it was a bumpy ride. But in the process of it, every mistake that I made, I learned from it. And, and when I was, and I started to learn that I can show her other people's mistakes and teach her, you don't do that. You treat people the way you want to be treated. If you don't want to do something, she had a habit of doing things what other people wanted to do, but she didn't want to do it. So, you know, like I said, like I said, kids are clay and you have to mold. And I decided to mold my daughter in a positive environment. And like I said, by doing so, that forced me to be as positive as much as you know as possible. And when I made a mistake or anything, I would sit and talk to her. You know, I mind you, for over a decade and a half, I didn't I, I wasn't a father. I wasn't a dad. I was a dad, father, but I wasn't a dad. There's a difference between a dad and a father. A father is any man that births a child, brings a child into the world. That'll make him a dad. What make him a dad is the work that they put in to that child that that's a title that is earned. So I had to learn how to be a dad. You know, I, I, I wasn't clearly unknown because before I got locked up, I had my two boys and an eight-year, eight-month-old daughter. So I was already in the custom of doing it. It's just been a long time. And I had to snap back and remember my training. So she, she, she's my, she's my ground, my black, my black wire that you put on ground. She grounds me out. She balances me to the point where I am more positive than ever because kids watch us. They watch us. We are their first teacher. So with me being my her first teacher, her first real teacher, I have to teach her things that she can take with her in life. I have to mold her, treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, just install the things that was installed in me and install the things that parents installed in their children on the good positive side. Wow. 100%. Um is so helpful because it's, it's so true. And I I think about, um, that makes me check myself, but we've all made mistakes. When I was working so much when my babies were little, now they're old, they're 21, 19, my bonus on 16 and my daughter is nine. But when the boys were little, I had to grind and hustle all the time. I would get, you know, I was getting government insistence. I was doing this, I was doing, but I was working. I never not worked. I worked two jobs sometimes. One time I was working 80 hours a week, but that took away time from them. But I, that's the only way I could survive, though. It's the only way I could pay for stuff. And yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, and it's so hard. And then, like, it was crazy because I was a restaurant manager in Ohio, but little tiny town. You probably never heard of it. It was Martins Ferry, Ohio. But, um, so in these little tiny towns, I was, and then I got transferred to, um, to, Oh boy, Washington, PA. I was a manager there and I was working so many hours because the other people wouldn't show up and I couldn't leave. I was a manager that my health started declining. 
And it was so bad that they were at a babysitter all the time because it was just me taking care of them. So they were always at a babysitter. And my son started having issues in school. And I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. So I had to make a difference. I, my hey, Listen, <laughs> this is so crazy. My paycheck was $749 for 80 hours for two weeks. No, no, for 160 hours. My bad. 160 hours. It was for two weeks. It was $749. I was making like not even $2 an hour because I was a salary and I was working, I was supposed to be getting paid for 50 and I got Bell's palsy. I got diverticulitis. I, like I said, my son, my one son had behavior issues. He, um, I'm proud of him. He's doing great since he went with his dad, the one I was getting in trouble, but the older one never had an issue at all. Like he learned very easily. He was a good kid. He went with the flow. And then when I was gone all the time, he started getting in trouble in school. And I was like, oh no, I can't. So, you know, I mean, that stuff is hard. It's hard for me to swallow. And it, it was something that was supposed to help them, but it also hurt, you know, when you have good intentions. And I was like, how else was I going to pay for stuff? But then it got to the point where I literally was about to lose everything. I was gone so many hours and I was going to lose everything. And I said, I don't want to lose my kids. I don't want to lose my kids. So, you know, if you lose a house or you lose a car or whatever, that's one thing. Yeah. yeah, you can. Yeah, right. You can replace it, but I don't want to lose my babies. So that was a difficult um, time. But anyway, the point, <laughs> I, don't, I go on a tangent, but I understand like, you know, and then what I was comparing it to is that now that my kids are older and I have this nine-year-old, it's so, and I feel bad for them because my oldest son, no offense, I love you, bud, but he gets jealous because he's like, well, mom couldn't do that with us. Mom couldn't do that. Yeah. Right. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's hard. I'm like, honey, times were different then. I was young as crap. I was working all the time because that's all I could do. And now I have a career where I'm a nurse and they were like teenage. No, they were still kind of young when I became a nurse, but it was just the fact of now my daughter's the only one in the house and she gets to do everything and she gets to go. We went to Disney and my kids have never, I never got to take them to Disney, the older ones. And, and it's just, it's hard. And it's like being a good example. You're right. There's days where I'm down and I'm sad or something's going on or I'm hurting so bad. I have a lot of joint pain and stuff. And I have to suck it up and stop it because I know she's watching me. And, yeah. and yeah. sometimes I can hear her kind of be negative and complain. I'm like, oh crap. And that's your check, right? It checks you, like you said, grounding. So that's such a good, actually, that was a great um, analogy. I love it. Um, mm -hmm. So now, not only are you like raising your daughter, you are mentoring young uh, youth. So how long have you been doing the mentoring? Well, I'm not in a, uh, an official mentoring program. Okay. I'm personally mentoring the kids that come into my barbershop. Like I have, uh, I can name, I have eight or well, seven, one of them is my grandkids, but I have seven, eight-year-olds who are turning nine this year. And I've been knowing them since two, three. I've been cutting them since two or three. And I watched them grow. And, you know, we have sleepovers. I've got a Spider-Man costume. I'll dress up in Spider-Man and we'll go to the Spider-Man movies. And I'm all and all the eight 
they some have dads in their lives, but not enough to make it a, a difference. Okay. You know, so I understand that it takes a village and I'm a part of the village. So when they see me, it's it's nothing but love. I you know their mothers will call me and you know, get on, get, you know, tell me what's going on, and I would get on them and talk to them about that situation, whatever it is, and you know they'll hang out the shop with me, and as they're with me, I'm talking to them and I'm teaching them things. I'm teaching right from wrong, like you know little simple things, like when two grownups are talking, you're supposed to say excuse me, you know, uh, always say thank you. Always open the door for a woman, and you know, just teach them things that you know, some simple things. I'll be riding with a couple of my kids, and I'll see some two people walking down the street, and I'm like, "Look, you see what's wrong with them too?" And they be like, "No." I say, "Look, the woman is supposed to be on the ins, the outside, and the man's supposed to be in the inside between her and the cars." You see a lot of that, and a lot of people don't know. So I use examples outside of my own little world and our world to point out lessons for them. So, you know, it went from the kids and then it went to the teenagers. I remember my first time, my, my first year, 2013, my first summer, this uh, white guy, little white, he's about 18, 18 17, 18 year old white guy came, kid came in and, you know, we chopping it up. I'm cutting his hair, we chopping it up. And I like to feel people out, especially when their energy is high or whatever the case may be. And he told me, you know, about school. He dropped out, we went to the same school. And I like, you know, I, I did what I was supposed to do. You know, I know my role. Well, my role is to treat people the way you want to be treated. He was in your his position, his shoes. I went on here and convinced him to go back to school. You know, I talked him into it. You know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So, right. you know, I led him to the water. And come to find out, he came in one day and it's like, look, I did it. He went back to school and got his diploma. And oh. I really never dealt with Caucasians in prison. I had friends, like I have some, a couple of them, but really not up close and personal, especially being young. I've always dealt with my kind. But to have him uh, come back and tell me that he took my advice and, you know, I was like, hey, I can make a change. I really can make a change. So I went and took that and, and started building off of it. Now it's to the point where, People feeling comfortable. They've been knowing. I've been cutting them for almost a decade, and they call me and ask me for advice. And that is the biggest, biggest prize that I can get is another human being knowing my story. Because I tell everybody my story. Because my the, the main thing, the the reason for the story, the moral of the story is if I can come from that to this, anybody can. It's about changing and being tired. And, and, and just really wanting better out of life. So I put everything that I've learned and what I would want if I was in that situation, that person's situation, I put that onto them. Therefore, they'll get the message. It's coming from my heart. And, you know, they understand because they know me. They trust me, my word. Because everybody needs an elder in their, in their village. And that the ones that we have now, majority of them aren't being good elders. So, you know, if you think about the tribe situation, you know, Avatar or any type of Indian movie where there's a tribe, you have the elders, that's the older older uh, people who are wise and intelligent and, and, and knowledgeable. Then you have the villagers. And when the villagers have an issue, what do they do? They go to the elders and the elders give them all that they can give them. The elders will lead them to the water and tell them that, you know, say, you got to drink it. I can't make you, but this water is good for you. 
and if, if they'll either drink it or they don't. The water that the, the lake that I take my horses to, they drink and they appreciate it and they come back for more and more. Ah, I love it. Um, thank you. Uh, I just want to thank you as my old self. So like as my young single mom self that had two boys, uh, I'm going to try not to cry. Um, I had a rough time with my one son and um, I lived in a little tiny town and the chief of police actually was one of the coaches. Um, so he became one of my outlets. Um, his wife actually taught my boys as well. Taught all three of them. I remember having hard times with my son. And even though he was in counseling, I made, I always made sure that the counselor was a man. And because he needed some kind of man. Um, and so, like I said, the chief of police was also a coach. So their coaches were very supportive and very, they were like part of my village. And my boys, not that they were, they weren't rude or disrespectful to women, but they respected men more and they listened to men more. Most times it's like that. Yeah. And believe me, I know. <laughs> being a woman, man, even being a manager, like it's like the employee, the men employees will listen more to a man. I'm like, come on, y'all. But anyways, it's okay. So, um, I'm thankful for the people that were my outlet and my support. And I remember, like the the police would also like he would, um. Mr. McFarland, if you ever listen to this, thank you so much. And his wife, Tiffany, was great. She was their teacher. Um, he was, I remember I had so many problems with him. And he said, bring him to the, bring him to the precinct, bring him. And I did. And he sat down and talked to him. He would bring his buddies in. And he would talk to him. And then when he did well, he rewarded him. He's like, you could sit in the front of the cruiser for the parade. Like made him feel special, you know, like, or you can do this. So it was like really such a sweet, wonderful thing that I'm so appreciative of. And I'm sure he is too. And so to have somebody like you that um, cares and that wants to show them the right way, show them how to be a young man, um, and that's the best way. I mean, it's just a wonderful thing. And I'm thankful that your daughter has you. Because um, again, my... Oh, my guy um, that I'm with, like, my daughter's bonus dad is the same way that you are. He teaches her those things. And when my boys were little, I was their mom and dad. And so I taught them hold open doors, do this and that, da da da, -da. And they were very good. In public, they were pretty good. <laughs> but they were like, they're so polite. They're so this and that. And they say, and I'm like, huh? Not in the right. house. Yeah, you're like, whose kids? Not mine. But my daughter learns that stuff from a man as well. So I can tell her, you know, like, but he even tells her, sit with your legs crossed if you're wearing a dress. Do, you know, if a man doesn't hold a door open for you, that's what he teaches her. Because we're in the South now. So they are a little bit different with stuff. And he's from the South. Um, you know, if a man doesn't hold up, open a door for you, you know, when you're older, we're talking about not now, but when you're older, don't even, you know, give him the time, you know, just that kind of respect. And like you said, standing on the same thing that he does for us, like he's the protector. So he stands by the traffic and then we're on the, those things are important. Very and, th important. 
thank you for te thank you so much for bringing that up because I kind of take it for granted now because I know that's just how he is. And then I have that train of thought as well. Like, those are things I should have been saying. But I just never... I knew the boy... It's weird because she's the same sex as me. But with the boys, I was like, no. Do you treat a lady like this? You do this. You do that. But to see it from the opposite gender, it's very important. That's why teamwork make a dream work. Because, yes. yes. Uh, I, I, I realize how important it is to have a relationship with my mother and my father because that allowed me to dissect who I get my ways from and to understand me. And by me, by your situation, not only is she getting it from a woman's point of view, she's also getting it from a male. So when she gets older, she's really going to be ahead of the game compared to those who just got it from one fit, one parent. So, you know, teamwork really makes a dream work, and it's the little thing. Like, when my daughter would open the door, and I, I thought, you know, kids, you got to repeat everything. Mm -hmm. So she'll open the door, and I'll pop her hand, and you, you're not supposed to just, you got to let me be a man. You got to let a man be a man. And I break down things to her, like a man's supposed to pump gas, because I've seen so many times where a man is a male, because every male ain't a man, but a male will be in the seat passenger seat while the woman, the female woman is pumping the gas. Mm -hmm. And I see that and I point that out to her. Everything, everything in life can be a good or a bad lesson, you know, but you just have to see it and take it and, and, and use it to benefit your purpose. And my purpose is to mold her into the best woman I can mold her into. I can't make her into a woman. All I can do is give her ideas and give her tools. So I'll have this thing when I talk to younger people. I have this, I tell them to hear me now, but feel me later. I call it the now later. I'm about to hit you with the now later. Those who know what I'm <laughs> saying, they know what it is. But certain ones, I like to get up under them, you know, get up under their sense of pride and, and whatnot. And I'm like, I know I'll hit them with, hear me now, because I know your mind ain't developed enough to understand what I'm about to put on you. So therefore, you're not going to be able to feel it. But when you get older and your mind develops, you know, then you'll feel, because we all went through that time where we got some lessons, we got a jewel from our older ones, our elders or whoever back in the day, but we didn't understand what they were saying until we got older. It's like, oh, I get what grandpa was saying. I get what auntie was saying. So when I hit them with that, they perked up like, oh, you think I can't understand what you're saying? Okay, hit me with it. So I catch their attention a little more than I would with just talking. Yeah. Set, the, set, set the foundation. I learned with kids, you got to set the foundation and plant the seed, but they're not going to be able to water it and help it grow. You got to do it. So you keep putting it on them and putting it on them. Like, remember I told you, now you know what, that's how I, that's how I operate with my young. It, it, absolutely. Consistency is important. And honestly, like, I keep bringing him up. I don't know why. But uh, he's, if he walks in here, he's going to be like, why are you talking about me? But, uh, <laughs> but I'm bringing him up because this is so crazy. It's like I'm kind of talking to him a little bit. Because he says he's younger than me, but he says that stuff to me. You got to drill it in him. You got to drill it in him. And he grew up, like, with older. Everybody's older. So his um his grandpa, oh, my goodness. Ooh. I love his grandpa. I never met him. His grandpa died at 100. His his grandpa got with his grandma. So his grandpa's 40 years older than his grandma. So he grew, he has older 
like you know everybody um aunts and uncles that are like 80s 90s lots of them aren't around anymore and but so he got those gems from them and he'll this is the craziest thing ever and no offense to my dad love my dad he was in the military but i don't remember that stuff I don't remember them teaching me that stuff. I don't remember my dad. He probably a hold open the door. I don't know. But until I got with, we've been together almost four years on and off. We've had our moments. But so until I got with him, I never had a man pump gas for me. Never in my life. And I was 30 some years old. Never. I never knew. I'm You're sorry. Alone. You're not alone. Yeah, and I didn't know it was awkward because I'm like independent, you know, and I was a single mom too, so there wasn't a man with me, but I'm saying even when I was dating, even when I was married, and I got checked a couple times because <laughs> my friend said to me, um, why, so my ex-husband, well, he was my husband, would walk in the church and let the door slam in my face all the time. He, She would watch that. When we go in the house, he would let the door slam in my face, and she said, you need to let him be a man. She said, you stand there until he opens the door. I said, he won't open the door for me. She said, you stand there. Make sta him. I said, we're going to be late. And she's like, no, you stand there and you make him be a man. And so, and her dad taught her that and her mom taught her that. So the fact that she said that to me, and it was kind of embarrassing to be honest, because I was like, oh, but I didn't want to argue with him at church. He doesn't see it like that. He doesn't feel like that's right. And he didn't want to be in again. Now he's my ex-husband. So it's weird. It's funny because when I had, you know, started dating the one that I'm with now, almost four years now on and off, like I said, but the fact that, um, I was driving and he'd get out and pump the gas. Or if he's driving, he'd get out and pump, you know, and I was like, oh, and one time he didn't do it. And I, I was like, well, I'm not going to go. So I just sat in the car. <laughs> I've got a couple of stories just touching on that. Uh, the first girl I got with, one day I'm with her daughter. She's like 10 and her son is like seven. So we go to the, she's driving. We go to the gas station. She gets out and take care of it. And while she's out, I said, watch this. Watch, watch what I do. So when she got back in, I'm on my phone, right? So I feel her looking at me. <laughs> and I looked at her like, oh, you know him. Tell her I was just kidding. You know, because I wanted them to know that, yeah, he ain't yeah. telling me this plan. So, yeah, I went out there and pumped the gas. But every time I'm at a gas station and I see a woman pumping the gas, I ask, like, may I may I pump your gas? And there's one time I'm at the gas station, I seen a little two, I seen this lady pumping her gas, SUV, and she had like a 14-year-old in the seat front seat, passenger, and a little 12-year-old in the back. And I said, I end up telling them, like, this is Ain't no way she'd be pumping the gas. Y'all both old enough to stand out here and do that for it. You know, whether they, and she was shaking her head like, yeah, mm -hmm, you're right. So whether they went and continued that, I don't know. Then there was another one, same gas station. And I, I pull up and I look, and there's a little, and I recorded, it was a little eight, year, 10 year old pumping his mom's gas. No. And I recorded and I gave him a thumbs up and he, cause he didn't know what was going on. I, and I told him like, that's, and I broke it down. Like that's how it's supposed to be. And you know, I told her mom, like you, you're raising a good man. You're doing the right thing by 
training him because kids is playing. You got to start young. So, you know, some people get it. Most people don't. How you supposed to conduct yourself. And speaking of woven the doors, I had a woman. I had two women in my life who made sure I opened up the car door and they would stand there. They would sit in the car. I get out and they would still be in the car. That goes back to a person can only do what you allow them to do. If you allow a person to walk over you and, and handle you wrong, then you can't be mad at nobody but yourself. But you can also let them know, this is what I like. Can you please make the adjustment? Because that will make me happy. Just as something that you doing, you want me to do, I'm going to do it. So it goes both ways. I can't allow you to keep slamming, you know, not opening the door, not treating me like a lady. That's what that's all about. Treating, you, treating a woman like a lady. Right. And ladies act like a lady, though. So that's something important, too. Um, it is we it standards go both ways. I just want to say that you're right. But I also want to say standards go both ways because I've seen it the opposite way where a woman wants so many things, but they don't want to hold down their part. That's not fair. It's, so, it's making deposits. It's, make, it's making withdrawals without making deposits. Right. You know, you got to put withdrawal, you got to make deposits into other human beings. A deposit is a good thing. So how I'm going to keep making withdrawals when I, I'm going to be in a negative? Right. You can't deplete the other person because that, it it's it's never going to work. That's friendships. That's um, relationships. Anything. It's, it's really selfish when you just consider one side and that's your side and not realizing that it's, life is really, when you're dealing with a human, another human being, other human beings, it's a two-way street. Absolutely. Uh, so what is one important lesson that you teach uh, the people that you mentor? Respect yourself. Therefore, you can respect others. You, that's just like loving yourself. You can't respect or love anyone else until you learn how to do that within yourself. Uh, I, I teach them about communication. A lot of humans don't understand how com important communication is. You know, and it, I tell my daughter, any young kids, you know, this is how you do it. Anything that people do on a normal, I teach them do the opposite. Like, don't be a follower. Now, that's one thing I'm really big on, kids following, because we're followers by nature. Every human is a follower, but it's about what you follow. You have to have the intel, you have to have the intellectual side of you determine what to follow and what not. So I teach these young people, don't do with everything. And I also don't do what everybody else do. And I also teach them about friends. You know, everybody isn't your friend. And right. I tell you, when you meet a kid, like, oh, I just met him a couple of days ago. It's my friend. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it, I teach my young people that what you got to give, people got to give you a reason to call them your friend. You know, you have to go through things in time. And I have a, I have a step that I go through. When I first meet a person, there, I have people who are my associates. They're just people that know me. They see me in public. Hey, they don't know nothing about me, but they know they know I'm a barber and they might not have a little girl, whatever the case may be. But I also, once we're done with that, you become my close associate. And close associates know a lot way more than my associates know. So once you become my close associate, and I'm very selective, and I'm, I'm very selective in who I let into my world because I have a lot of love and energy and effort that I give into that. So I had to make this, this, this tier that of 
you know, friendships and things of that nature when it comes to that. So as close associates, they know a lot more than the associates know. Then I have friends. Once you make it past, you know, take some years, you've been through some things. This is what I explained to these young ones. Once you've been through some things with this individual, then you can determine what kind of friend that is. That could be your, in it, what do they call it? Frenemy. Frenemy, that yep. Frenemy. That could be, you know, whatever the case, but through time and experience, you're going to know who that person is. So once you're past that, and we got, we've always had an understanding and respect, and I know you're worthy for me to call you my friend, then you become my friend. And then we go from there. But I give them steps. Like everybody that you meet is not your friend because friends don't get you in trouble. Friends don't lie. I break all that stuff that I had to learn the hard way to give them an idea. And every time I'm with them, I'm throwing something back at them just to make sure like repetition is very important. So I'm always at them. So, you know, I, I just teach them the basic things, not to be a follower, understand that everybody's not your friend and always respect yourself because if you respect yourself, you're not going to let others respect you. Wow. Disrespect you, excuse me, disrespect. Yeah, I knew what you meant. So those are all like, actually every single saying that you said makes me like tickled, like laugh on the inside because it, it's like you're hitting the nail with the hammer. See, I think I messed up that saying. But whatever the saying is, when you... <laughs> yeah, right? Hit the nail? Hit the with nail. the hammer? Yeah, hit the, hit the nail right on the head. There you go. Okay. So, but that's what you're doing. You're like, you're giving these, you're dropping these nuggets, like, poof, poof, everywhere. And I, I love this because everything that you've said can pertain to so many things of a business partnership, a relationship, a parent, being a parent, and a marriage, a whatever, a, a friendship. And so these things and all these little hints and the things that you've learned from the things you've been through and you take it and you flip it and reverse it. The Missy Elliott's one of my favorite, but you flip it and reverse it. And then, so like, it's like, for good you know what i'm saying like everything happens for a reason and again i'm not i don't want nobody to say like danielle's condoning bath no stop it people what i'm saying is you had a purpose like we talked about you had to go through the bad things to get through the other side to realize and to say oh my gosh that is not the way to live i'm gonna teach these young kids to not do what I did, which is a beautiful thing. It is such, and I know you're helping so many parents. I know you're helping so many kids because it helps the parents. And I say that from me, from me being sometimes felt like, I don't know if I should use the word desperate, but I did. I felt like, please, I need help. And I don't know that. you acknowledge that you're supposed to feel desperate. You're yeah. not feeling desperate. Something is wrong. Yeah. And just times with my, my, when they were younger and even when he was a teenager, my second one, and I was scared because I didn't know what he was doing and what he was getting into. And I was so naive that I didn't even know he was sneaking out for the longest time because mm -hmm. I just thought that, you know, my, my room at this house now, my room's in the basement. So he doesn't have to come past me to leave. 
and at the other house he was going out the window so i didn't i'm on the opposite side of the house i didn't know there's like the roof is of the garage was right underneath his his window and he would just go and yeah and so and so um i'm just i'm very thankful uh for men and women there's a lot of women mentors as well um i'm so thankful for people that have been through a struggle or grief or a heartbreak or whatever um and help people um that's what this world is about it's about taking your knowledge and inserting it into someone else and saying you know how we say sometimes i wish i would have known that but but you're teaching them that it's it's so wonderful i'm i just i'm so impressed uh and i'm so thankful that you responded back to me but i'm so impressed by just the way that you present yourself just like like you're just like you know this is what it is and this is what it is now and you're just you're like you seem so happy now and i don't i don't know you before but lots of people get bitter you know when they've been through stuff and they're bitter and they don't realize what role they played in it like he's like we said and you just seem like you have great energy and you're just a great person um and i'm just so happy that you uh agreed to come on and talk to us so one last thing what advice do you have for anybody that's starting over in life in any capacity Before you can start over in life, you got to review your past. You got to make sense. Make it make sense. Why was I so in my feelings? Why was I doing this? And I'm just speaking for what works for me. You know, hopefully someone else can take it and, you know, add to it or whatever the case may be. But do what you got to do to get yourself in that position. So all I can do is to give you ideas on how I change. You got to do some soul searching. You got to do some soul searching. You got to be real because you got to be real with yourself before you're real with anybody else. You got to acknowledge, you got to see the problem, acknowledge it, accept it before you can move on and fixing it. If you're hurting, you cannot heal until you forgive. Once you forgive, then the healing process starts up and you go from there. I would tell a person, you know, take your time and, you know, utilize, love you. First, that's where it starts. Love you. Learn how to love you. Find the good things about you and stay on it and don't worry about the negative things as far as you know when it comes to negative things try to turn the negative things into you into something positive whether you can give it as a lesson or you can like really get rid of it whatever you know to get it out your system whatever the case may be but it, it starts with understand once you understand something you'll be able to communicate and, and talk to others and find people around you that are like mind not just like-minded but like spirit that word like-minded doesn't sit right with me because I can meet somebody and we think alike, but later on down the line, I can see that his spirit and my spirit are not the same. He has a dingy or a dirty spirit, but we can think a lot. You know, we always coming up with plans and things like that, but he has way. So I look for like-spirited people, spirit, people whose spirit is similar to mine, people who operate off a an intellectual 
frequency instead of a non-intellectual frequency. And another thing, you gotta, the most important thing, you gotta surround yourself with a support group that is for you. You have to surround, you have to change your ways, you have to recognize who is not for you. Because everybody that you think is for you is really not for you. You just gotta pay attention to little details on how people treat you. And you gotta want more, you gotta get tired. Because if you don't get tired, the change won't come in. You know, if I'm in a relationship and she keeps cheating and disrespecting me and, you know, you know, doing whatever, doing everything that I don't like, it's going to continue until I get tired. And when I'm tired, change will come in. So you got to, you know, talk to people, be real with yourself. I felt like I needed counseling. I went in after my, I felt like I did a really good job with doing my own therapy, self-therapy and self-love. So when I went out, Years later, about, about two years ago, I went to go see a psychiatrist just to see. Now, we can people on the outside can see better than those in the inside a lot of times. Right. So I wanted to get a professional. I understand that mental health is just as, I think mental health is more important than physical health because we don't get physical health, physical all the time. Our mentals need to be checked on the frequent, whether we seeing a doctor or we doing it ourselves. You know, so with that being said, Take advantage of all the tools that will help you. Doc, they're here for a reason. Psychiatrists, they go to school like doctors. If something's wrong with your car, you're going to take it to a professional. If you want your hair done, you're going to go to a professional. If you want to get a checkup, you're going to go to a doctor. These, All these people went to school. So they're here for a reason, and that's to help us. So we have to take advantage of us. A lot of people in my community, they don't do the psychiatry and counseling because of, I believe it's embarrassment. I believe it's uh, a lot of it is turmoil or, you know, imagine you telling me something and confiding in me and I go back and tell somebody and it gets back to you. That's going to cause mistrust. You, you're not like, I can't trust nobody. Yeah. That's that meant we have, my people have that mentality to where they don't trust, but they fail to realize that under oath, that person that you're seeing is obligated to not say nothing. You ain't got to worry about nothing. You clean it. Once y'all done, you'll never see him again. And that person won't use because people will tell you things and they'll take that information to take advantage of you. Or when they're mad, they'll throw it in your face or maybe they just a chatty catty, whatever the case may be. And that will discourage a person from walking and talking to somebody. Life, to me, it's like imagine having a balloon inside of you. And every little thing that happens to you that you suppress and you'd be like, nah, somebody might bump you in the store and not say nothing. Or somebody might ditch you, whatever the case may be. You can handle it two ways. Either you know, positively or negative. So let's just say every time something happening, you're the type of person that just bites your tongue and don't say nothing. When people do that, they're blowing that hot air into a balloon. So every time something happens, they're blowing it in there. They're blowing it in there. So what happens when they keep blowing it in there and they don't let it out? And by letting it out, it's by talking and getting it out. It could be something as simple as somebody that didn't use their blinker and cut in front of you. And you just... Ugh! Blew it and it blew up and now you got road rage and you follow it. So you gotta keep room for that balloon because we're gonna always have to blow. Every fight ain't worth fighting. So, you know, understand is first, patience with yourself and others, and keep your circle clean of debris and all that other stuff because you have people that won't let you heal, that keep bringing up your past and what you did in the past and they're not acknowledging, like you saying. You know, your baby dad was like, you ain't seeing me trying. You keep talking about what I did. What about what I'm doing now? I'm trying. Like, you cannot allow 
person to go forward, but keep pulling them back to their past. And people like that, you got to, anybody ain't for you is against you. I don't care how small or how big it is. You need to focus on having a strong support crew. So that's what I would tell somebody. Yeah, right. So important. Um, so, so important. Everything you said is like so accurate, so great. And I love hearing it from a male's perspective because I am a female and I, I talk about this some episodes and this there was this um he's young he's starting to do comedy so he goes to this one open mic and I was I told them about and he suffered with um suicidal thoughts and stuff before and I asked him you know if you ever want to be on the podcast and I told him uh, it almost got to the point where almost every episode was going to be like men straight like seven episodes in a row were going to be men and so I was like I was trying to break it up and just make it you know like not that it matters but just kind of like spread out stuff and so he said oh wow it's so great that you listen to men and I went huh and he was like no it's great that you care about what men think and I'm like yeah of course I do Cause how can I say authentic points of view? And I was like, I'm only going to talk to females. <laughs> that's, that's not true. That's not accurate. Right. You know, or how can I say authentic points of view, but I'm only going to talk to a uh, 40 year old white women, you know, like, no, that's not. And I said that cause that's what I basically, I was a 40 year old white woman. But what I'm saying is like, that's, that's not what I'm about. What I'm about is I want to, people to use this platform to get their story and to get their truth out there and for people to listen and to just to just know that we all have stuff in common because we do and that we're all humans and we all deserve to be listened to that's it that's all get we all out of it. get get what you can out of it because everybody's testimony can help someone else Yes, of course. Absolutely. And even your little, like, your sayings that you said or different things that you mentioned um, can help somebody so much. Because, like, what if a single mom right now is listening to that and she feels like I felt? And then there's somebody like you. So, everybody, please check it out. Like, I know his isn't an actual, but yours is a program that's not written in the, you know, in the... A yellow book or something but they know of you so basically training for something right. big and it, it's important but there are um programs everywhere you guys if you need help um with your kids there's um big brothers big sisters or something i think that's called there's so many different groups but you got to be careful and look into it please look into things because you can't trust yeah, everyone do your, do your research i look at like people who are very important like teachers and things like that, doctors and whatnot. You can, there's two types of people and when it comes to those, those who do it for a paycheck and those who do it because that's what they love to do. Right. They want, they want to give their skills to, you know, help someone else. So, you know, you just have to really look because your kid, you're putting these, your kids, your children into the hands of these individuals. And a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them don't have the right intention. To do to do what needs what, what they're supposed to do, right. so you have to do research. You, you have to, you know, my thing. What was holding me back was my past. 
You know, I have attempted to, I was in positions to be in a facility working with kids through bar, you know, being a barber or whatnot, and it got shut down. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's hard for me to move forward because on that aspect, because, you know, I'm not, like I said earlier, I'm not good with letdowns. You know, I get really excited. I have an opportunity to work with kids. And then all of a sudden my past has stopped me from doing it. So, you know, you just put it in God's hands. You're not going to find out everything. You're not going to make the right decisions. But, you know, just make sure you, you do all you can. Dot your I's and cross your T's when you're doing your research. And, you know, sleep on it. Talk to others. Do some invest as much investigating as possible because you want to put your child in a position to succeed as much as possible. But you don't want to put them in the wrong person's hand. Oh yeah, it could do more damage than good. Really um, can. Yeah. So be careful. Um, but all right, where can everybody find you? Or what do you want to shout out the barbershop that you work at? Is that okay? Or you don't well, have I'm to? I'm in Columbus, Ohio at Razor Shark. It's uh, off the corner of Cleveland and Morris, 2543 Morris Road. Uh, Instagram is Jarrell, J-O-R-E-L, Lamar, at, uh, what is that? My nickname is Baby June. It'll be in there. Our, my profile is, my page, Instagram page is really just my thoughts and things like that because I really can't get into Instagram the way I can Facebook. That's where most of my material is at as far as my my Facebook is set up for those to know me. I want people to get to know me. That way they know how to handle me and vice versa. So my Facebook page is, if you want to know who I am, my Facebook page is the page that's, that's Jarrell Lamar, J-O-R hyphen E-L Lamar. And that just basically allows people to have an idea. You know, I'm spiritual, um, you know, for the community, I'm for the kids, about positive energy. And, you know, that's just really what my Facebook is really about. Once I get everything, because I'm new at this podcast, once I get everything rolling, I have a plan to make a YouTube channel and then go from there and get with everybody. But I'm still learning. So till then, to find out anything about me or get in contact with me, I would go through my Instagram. My email is Lamar 21 yahoo So feel free. Um, my doors is open. My world is open for anybody to come in. But like Facebook and all the other ones, I will take you out. It's all about positive energy. Right. And I will delete you or unfriend you. But I'm welcome everybody. I don't discriminate. We're all human beings. So you know, I'm welcome. I'm wel I welcome anybody to come into my life that is about positive energy. Yes. It, you have to surround yourself, like you said, around what you see and what you want for you. So, and, and that's a hundred percent, like you can't. So just like they say, if you want to be rich, go be around rich people. Because that mindset, that will rub off on you and you'll learn something and you'll elevate from it. And so um, that's that's something that is so important. So I just want to say, it's really funny. I'm going to go tell him in a second. It is literally like talking to, and this is not in a creepy way, to my, my boyfriend because he has the same mindset as you. And it is so funny 
um that like it's it's really like touching and moving because it's like i i didn't know you before and now i feel like i'm connected to you kind of because i have somebody actually that's here that's like has says the same things to me yeah. has the same uh, concept the same like mindset and the same thing he always talks about energy and that's how I feel now too and he rubbed off on me and some of the stuff rubbed off on him and I laugh because you say you're you know in your your people meaning like you know when you said somebody was Caucasian he says all the time that he he's wasn't used to being around white people he didn't even know any really white people until a certain grade in school. And because he lived in um, a, oh boy, in Mississippi. And um, very like, I don't want to call them poor, but very, I mean, it is what it is. I think it's one of the poorest states. So that's how he, he grew up. And so he, we tease because he's like, I have not ever been around this many white people. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I get like that. I, yeah. I get like that. You yeah. know, I go to white bars. I got white friends. I yeah. love white people, man. The funnest times I have is when I go karaoke at a white bar. And I got, I sing Creed and the Nickelback. Oh, I love Creed. Yeah. And Stain. And, yeah. you know, I think all of the, I, I think, and you'll see the white people like, yeah, down across from the, the bar, they like, you know, good job. <laughs> Yeah, really feels good. You know, you got to step out. You're, a lot of us, my people, we are a lot of them are afraid to indulge into that, so they're more comfortable around their people. Like when I go into my little sits with my people, I don't feel as ease because it can go up, it can go down. But when yeah. I'm with them, you know, I feel comfortable because when I first got with start doing that, I was looking around like, man, all these. I know a lot. I know there's a lot of racist people in. I never really dealt with racism. Never been called a nigger or wow. anything. I was blessed. You know, only thing I've been called, I was playing chess with somebody in Australia, and they called me. I whooped them and I beat them, and they called me a spook. I don't know what the spook is, but I don't know what that means. Right. So that's the only type of. But I don't like racism. I it, I don't use the word hate because hate is a very strong word, just as love. People don't understand the power and the magnitude of the word hate and love. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't use that word hate. I say I strongly dislike. And I teach my daughter that. Strongly dislike. Don't say hate because you don't understand what hate means. Right. But I'm strong, I can say that I hate racism. I hate it. It's the problem of the world. And they don't realize that we are all in this, on this planet together. We're one race. So I welcome white... I, I learned to welcome white people mm -hmm. in... Realize that, man, they're so cool, man. I got so many white friends and they just love me and we kick it and we go out, we have fun. And, you know, but I pointed, I feel what he's saying. Like, it's different. It's a whole total different uh, culture. It's yeah. apples and oranges. And the only thing that's the same about apples and oranges is their fruits. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Yeah. But I, I really enjoy that. But it's helped me actually from my point of view because, um, when I listen to like what he struggled and how the, his childhood was, I'm like, oh my gosh. And so then I realized that the things that I went through and when my kids were little was nothing compared to, and it's not about, it's not a competition, 
but it just gives you a it humbles it humbles me and i mean my ex-husband's black so i'm not it's not the first guy that i've been with that's black i mean everybody basically was except for my first baby daddy <laughs> but but those were military they were everybody was like in the same environment like so we were all like military brats so you know like it was always the same kind of thing yeah they were black and yeah they had culture differences but we all kind of moved around a lot and we all did you know what i'm saying but this is different like he lived in the hood he had you know what i'm saying like different experiences and i i love listening to stuff i mean i've heard so many things that he said that i'm like oh my gosh you had to do that like that's normal and he's like yeah that was normal and it makes you like think like oh my gosh people have it way where it's like i mean i mean even the difference in the in the parts of the country you know and because i lived in the baltimore area and lots of my friends lived in the hood I actually lived in the hood uh, to the part that cops weren't even allowed in that neighborhood. I mean, military people weren't allowed in that neighborhood. We had our own police station in the neighborhood and military people weren't allowed in there. That's how bad the neighborhood was. So, but see, I'm used to, like, I, that's just, I'm like, okay. And I was comfortable like that. But, but you're right. Like, we actually had a conversation today about how I, I was teasing him. I was like, you've changed. We've both changed in, in great ways and um, from each other. And, you know, maybe we change in bad ways too in every relationship, but we change in great ways because we both strengthen each other. We both see different things through each other. And he would, and I was saying, you never would have listened to this kind of music before. Right. And so, and he was like, but the, the stories that the pop music and stuff have, like they make sense. Like those songs make sense. And he's like, it touches every single person that listens to it. It's not just where depending on where you're from or wherever anybody can relate to it and it was really like eye-opening to hear him say that and he's like looking at it differently than he would have because he never would have known the songs before he never would have listened to them he never would have because it's it's not that he was like hateful against that stuff he just didn't wasn't experienced of it he didn't he even know it. It yeah around. he didn't grow up around right and so and his family loves me and they're great and uh, i love them but it's it's like it's really cool to see him experience stuff because he's never been with a white person he's never been with a white person this long dated a white person lived with a white person really so for him and i mean woman you know i'm a woman but like so it's i have been with black men so it's not new to me but right. it's new to him so i'm seeing it through him it being new to him you know and he's not and he has made he has white friends. Well, he had a couple white friends as a teenager, but, like, he has white friends. And, like, you know, when he goes to work or whatever, he, like, connects with people that he usually probably wouldn't even have thought of, you know, that you would have anything in common with. And so, like you said, it's it's awesome to just open just open your eyes and be accepting of open stuff. And just, mind. yeah, really just. Open your mind. You got to be open-minded to to receive and to let something in that's not yeah. new to you. You know, right. closed minded by society and the media and all that, they'll close your mind up. But you have to understand that that's what they're designed to do. So, you know, you you, you might, you don't want a closed mind 
have your mind closed because you're going to miss out on some, a lot of opportunities, a lot of beautiful experience and knowledge and different because, you know, we have different cultures, right. but we both can relate. I can relate to things you went through and you can relate to things that I've been through. Right. So, you know, by having a closed mind, oh, I ain't going to mess with no white people or, or I ain't going to mess with no black people. You're missing out on life because you can, yeah, there's a whole nother world, you know, mm-hmm. that you're too close-minded to dive into. It's like being racist. And like, I'll, I, if I, you know, a lot of my people be like, I've not a lot, but I've seen some who, like, I don't even want to deal with white people. I wouldn't get one said, I ain't even getting on white people change. You know, I teach my daughter that like, we're here together. You know, as far as being on the, you know, somebody asking for change on the side, he was like, I'm never getting on white people. You know, and I, and I tell her, you got to treat people the way you want to be treated. Right. And you gotta not look at color. Like she, her best friends is white. She got two little. We just went to Zumbezi Bay because you know I'll take them and get them out the house. And you know, I, I look. One time, I went to uh, outside of Columbus. It was a corn festival. So if it's a corn festival, oh, you don't know who's the majority. And oh, I got. <laughs> That's true. I'm sorry. It's true. Go ahead. Oh Hilarious. Where it's like a thousand people, but only a thousand whites and only like maybe 30 blacks. Yeah. So I was feeling uncomfortable because I had a little, I had my, my, my homies, a uh, little four-year-old daughter, five-year-old daughter, and I had her eight-year-old daughter, his eight-year-old daughter. So they're looking at me, they're looking at me like, what is going on? I'm on a, I, I got, they on the roller coaster, they on their little thing. But I got the little girl and we on a merry-go-round and mm-hmm. with the horses and we just, you know, and they're looking at me like, I get these feelings, this stare like, and, you know, I ignored it because sometimes, I understand, sometimes you got to think for those who can't think for themselves. So, you know, I took it as I understand. I didn't get mad like, who is y'all looking at this, that, that, like an average black person would. I just took it, understood what it was, understood where I'm at and just kept it pushing. And we had a great time. But people got to see. They don't see that. Like, I'm tatted up, and look how I look, you know? And they see me with this little white girl who is just all on me, and I'm carrying her and all this other stuff. And I got, you know, so people just got to, you just got to have an open mind of understanding. That way you can think for those who can't think for themselves. Because a lot of people don't understand. They don't want to understand. They're stuck in their ways. And mm-hmm. you can't change them. You can just show them that, you know, it's all love. It's nothing but love, positive energy, and hope that that wears off on them. Absolutely. You're right. Just be you and just, like, just be yourself, and then hopefully people will see the good in you. No matter what, unfortunately, people look at what people look like first, but no matter what you look like, we're all something on the inside, and that's what that's what counts, and that's what we teach our kids. But I thank you so much. This has been so awesome. Like, I really, I've had, like, such a great time. And getting to know you, you're awesome. Thank you so much for everything you're doing uh, for the youth and even young men, whoever that you you speak to. Uh, it's important to have people like you in the world that want to make a difference and that care. So, Thank you so much, and um, we'll keep in touch. And are you starting a podcast as well, or? 
I will. Uh, well, I got a lot of these lined up. Okay, just, you're going to be a guest on the. Okay, cool. As many as I can, and I'm going to take all that material and put it on my, my Facebook. And that's what I'm going to, not my Facebook, my YouTube channel that I have made up. Okay. And then I'm going to go from there. So awesome. I have a plan. I have a plan. Okay, well, that's wonderful. So thank you again. And um, keep doing what you're doing. Keep being a, um, a positive light in people's life. And don't worry about what people are looking they just they just look they're like huh they don't but it doesn't you know they can look who cares tell them don't mind their i'm just joking uh but you being a good example i know i'm just teasing i'm just teasing uh being a good example is what it's all about and um i'm glad that your daughter has you and i'm glad you know your other kids hopefully you get you know still talk to i know they're older but um and i'm i'm just just had a really great time and I learned a lot from you and thank you for having such a positive um, outlook on stuff and just just the positive energy is so great and it rubs off on me and I and I love it I love positive energy and I soak it up and I <laughs> so, I bathe in it yes that's right I, I need to bathe in it hey uh, I'm gonna make fun of myself and say that I'm a big person and I don't want to get in the bath because <laughs> I can't get out <laughs> I do comedy. Remember, don't forget that I do so. So, uh, my big tail don't want to be stuck in the bath and be hollering help. Uh, no, <laughs> just joking. Hi, listeners. I'm sorry. So, anyway, all right, Jarrell. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, and you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You're welcome. Thank you. Wow. What great information. Um, wow. Honestly, the advice that he gave and all the little sayings that he said were fantastic. It really was like talking to my boyfriend in a way because they're so similar. It was a really cool experience for me. I hope that you learned something. I hope something Jarrell said helped change your point of view. He's not making excuses for himself. He's not saying what he did was okay. But what he's saying was the things, the situation that he was in, that was what he felt like was best at the time. And he's learned a lot and he's grown and he's changed, which is wonderful. You know, when people go to prison, you hope that they do change. Uh, you hope that they come out a different person. And that's what he did. It's a really beautiful story. I'm so glad that he helps so many kids and I'm grateful for the people that helped my kids as well. So just a wonderful experience. Uh, if you're in the Columbus, Columbus area, area, I can't talk. I'm sorry. If you're in the Columbus area and you want to get your hair cut there, Razor Sharps, uh, 2543 Morris Road, Columbus, go check them out. Go check Jarrell out. And uh, if you have any kids there and you want their haircut, go check him out. Uh, he sounds like he's doing really great things in life. And his energy and his attitude is just great. And positive energy is something that we all need and we really need to focus on. So I'm very grateful for all the things that he said. I'm grateful for, to see it from his point of view. 
as the person that was there because like I said my son's father was there and I looked at it from my point of view so it was great to hear the other point of view you can email him um, and follow him on Instagram and Facebook also word of mouth if you learned something or heard something that you like please check out the other episodes uh, I would love for you to listen to this podcast and hopefully again something that you heard helped change your point of view or just helped you learn that you're not alone maybe you were in prison maybe you're going through something right now maybe you're going something with your kid maybe you're a single father hopefully something helped you so every episode is is fantastic I love it I love meeting amazing new people I love hearing different points of view so if you want to be on the show email me authentic points of view at gmail.com follow me on instagram and facebook at authentic points of view podcast um that's it guys thank you so much i really appreciate it and thank you for listening i really value you guys i appreciate the listeners and i love you all you have a wonderful day and i'll talk to you next wednesday be kind thanks for listening to authentic points of view podcast i hope that something you heard today changes your point of view if you would like to share your views please email me at authentic points of view at gmail.com or leave a comment on facebook at authentic points of view podcast remember always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart <laughs>